Amen. Thank you, Daphne. We've had a wonderful privilege today of hearing from uh, most of the Eftings. Pray for Andy. He's at home sick. Um, but it's been wonderful to have J.D. here, as he sang this morning. The girls, they played violins, and for Daphne, she's playing the piano. What a blessing. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 13 and go down through verse 18 tonight. We're going to phrase our main points by beginning every one of them with we believe and therefore, because what we believe ought to be reflected in the way that we live, in the way that we choose, in the way that we respond. Amen. James said, I will show you my faith. How? By my works. We do not earn eternal life. We do not live a life of good works in addition to trusting Christ in order to be saved. We know by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we understand that. But we also need to understand that that which we truly believe is that which causes us to choose and to respond and to act. It affects our perspective and our attitudes. And so we'll look at this this evening. Let's read our text first. We'll read all the way through, beginning in verse 13. Please follow along while I read aloud, beginning in verse 13 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We, having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written. So you notice here that Paul is quoting out of the Old Testament. I believed, and therefore have I spoken. And that's what he was quoting. Now he comes back to the present. We also believe, and therefore speak knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus and shall present us with you for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. That is a fascinating statement that we are, I've, I've explained it before in a message a couple years ago. It's a, it's a passage that really personally challenges and intrigues me. And so we'll park on it for a little bit this evening. But continuing on. For which cause, verse 16, we faint not, but though our outward man perisheth, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, the things which are not seen are eternal. And you say, Pastor Todd, that sounds familiar. Yeah, that was the passage we finished this morning with in our morning message. And so I want you to kind of see this same connection that because when you study out in in Hebrews chapter 12, what what precedes it? The chapter known as the Hall of Faith, right? And so when when the author of Hebrews gets into chapter 12 and he says, wherefore, seeing we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let's do these things. We are doing these things by faith. And so here tonight, we are looking at this continued determination by the grace of God. And and our determination is not just based on self-discipline or things that we know are good for us, but it's based on our faith in God and in his word. So the first statement is, we believe and therefore speak. Now, when he says, uh, according as it is written in verse 13, Here's what is written. Listen to this passage of scripture while I read it. It's Psalm 116, but I'm not just going to read the one phrase or verse, but the surrounding verses to give you a little more bit of context and make a couple of comments as we look at this phrase, we believe and therefore speak. By the way, if we really believe in the gospel, we'll speak out the gospel. If we really believe the truth is the truth and we will stand for the truth 
And we will make bold, declarative statements concerning the truth. We don't buy into this postmodern garbage that there is no such thing as absolute, eternal, unchanging truth. We know exactly the opposite, that there is. And how do we know that? Because God is truth, and God is eternal, unchanging, and perfect. And all God's people said, Amen. Okay. So we believe, and therefore speak. In Psalm 116, verses 7 to 13, the Bible declares, Return unto thy rest, O my soul. The psalmist had been troubled. Will we face troublous times this year? We might. Are there times when we get so excited we need to calm down, even in good situations? Yeah. And it's good for us. And it's interesting, this pattern, seeing the psalmist, as he speaks to himself here, he's, he's, he's speaking to himself in the context of, of singing a prayer to God. Sounds a little unusual, doesn't it? But that is how he was praying. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. Again, what's he doing? He is reminding himself of the faithfulness of God. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tear, and my feet from falling. I love that verse. Then he has delivered my soul from death through salvation. My eyes from tears. Weeping endures for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. And my feet from falling. The psalmist said, I had well nigh slipped. Man, I almost fell. But you know what? The Lord upheld me. And he will always uphold me. What a great verse. And then he says this, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. All these things he is declaring. Now, why is he declaring this? He said, I believe, therefore have I spoken. He said, that's why I'm speaking these things. That's why I can say to my soul, soul, be, be at your rest. Because the Lord is faithful. He's delivered my soul from death, my eyes from crying, er, from tears, and my feet from slipping. And I can speak to the faithfulness of God. And you know what, folks? We also need to speak and testify uh, to the faithfulness of God. Why? Well, number one, because it is encouraging to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because the same God who's our Heavenly Father is their Heavenly Father if they're a believer. And so there is a mutual encouragement when we speak to the faithfulness of God. It is also offers the, the beautiful light of the gospel, the hope, that expectation based on the truth and the love of God. And when I speak these things and my testimony resounds as to what God has done for me, I'm also declaring and God can do this for you. So we have believed and therefore we speak. Moms and dads, as we are raising our children and seeking to have an influence in the lives of our grandchildren, we believe and therefore we speak. So be bold in the power of the Holy Spirit to speak truth. He says, and, and he kind of reflects here for a minute, he said, I was greatly afflicted. And in my affliction, he said, in my haste, he said, my first response was this. All men are liars. <laughs> Ever felt that way? Maybe even said it. But then he gives his mind back to the Lord. He says, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation. I will call on the name of the Lord. That's where I'm going to choose to have my solace, my encouragement. It is in my salvation and it is in my relationship with the Lord. It's not based on circumstantial events happening in my life. It's on the stable, unchanging Savior. I wrote this down because you see this in Psalm 116, verses 7 to 13. Biblical faith produces conviction, expectation, and declaration. If it is conviction of mine, then that by faith, then I expect God to be faithful to his word. 
And if I expect God to be faithful to his word and I can back it with conviction, there ought to be a declaration, a statement. And it's not just with my lips, although that is included, but it is also in my responses to life. And I stand before you tonight saying this is a work of progress that God is doing in my own life. Uh, like Paul said, I am not attained, neither am perfect. I'm not complete in this myself. I'm still working through this. We will struggle through this. But what an incredible adventure and what a great journey of discovery of the faithfulness of God as we dig into the Word and as the Spirit of God teaches us so that we can have a conviction that produces an expectation. Because what is faith? It is the confident expectation. That's faith. That's hope. And then because of my hope, I declare with great confidence God's truth. Now look at verse 14. Not only do we believe and therefore speak, but we believe and therefore we anticipate in verse 14 it's kind of a follow-up knowing that he which raised up the lord jesus shall raise us up also by jesus and shall present us with you paul saying hey listen we are going to be we are going to be raised and our bodies are going to be raised he's talked about that in first thessalonians chapter 4 first corinthians chapter 15 when christ comes in the rapture those who've died in christ our bodies will be resurrected from the graves and we will be given a glorified body to be totally transformed and we'll forever be with the lord our body and soul reunited at that moment. And so he's talking about that. We know that the, the same power of God the Father who raised up Jesus Christ is the same power that's going to raise us up also. And so we believe and therefore we anticipate. Well, I guess one of the tests you could say of the strength of your faith is what do you expect? And I wonder if sometimes we expect way too little from God. Because our faith is still so small. And yet we step out by faith. And as God strengthens our faith, builds our conviction of the truth, and our expectation, our hope begins to build. Then with that conviction, not only do we declare, but we continue to anticipate. And that constant hope and expectation continues to drive us forward in a very mundane way. A lot of times people will work very hard and they'll get a couple of weeks of vacation a year and they will plan some sort of really extravagant trip. And you know what? They'll tell you the only thing that's keeping me going right now at this job is I'm looking forward to that vacation. I can't wait to go and have all this fun and rest and all of this kind of stuff. And so it's one of those things that they anticipate is something they're looking forward to. And because of that, it kind of encourages them to keep on working hard and realize, hey, listen, it's getting closer and closer. The weeks and the days are getting fewer and fewer till I get to go on that trip, on that vacation or whatever. And so it's something to look forward to. On a much greater scale, our confident expectation and the ultimate one that, that, that the Apostle Paul brings up here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is the, our resurrected body. The fact that we will forever be with the Lord. Eternal life. What a great confidence. And then look at verse 15. For all things are for your sakes. I expanded on that a little bit this morning. All the things they had suffered. He had suffered as an apostle. And the apostles had suffered to be able to preach the gospel. Establish churches. And then strengthen and establish those, those churches in the truth of the word of God. All those things. He says in verse 15. Are for your sakes. That the abundant grace might through thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. So he says, we believe and therefore we minister. All things are for your sakes. How does this not reflect the Lord Jesus Christ? Doesn't it? In Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, Jesus said, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to 
minister, to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. We believe and therefore we minister. We take the admonition of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We truly believe. And someday we're going to stand and give a personal account to the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 14 verse 12, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. We believe that there's going to be an eternal reward. For the Bible says, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which the Lord hath prepared for them that love him. Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to stand before the Bema seat, the reward seat, to receive the things done in our body. According to that we have done, whether it be good or evil or bad. And it's not the word evil there, it's the word literally good for nothing. Did I, did I do a lot of stuff in my life as a Christian that was literally good for nothing? Wasted. Because I was just going through routines. I was doing things to be seen of men. The Pharisees did that, did they not? Man, the Pharisees, boy, I tell you what, they were very busy trying to serve God, but they did it to impress men and try to earn merit with God, and it was totally of no value. But the Apostle Paul gives us great great motivation in 1 Corinthians 3. Listen, we're either going to have gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Christ is going to try or test or judge our service as believers, our lives lived as believers. And I believe at the very heart of that is our motive. And it'll be tested. But if we truly believe and we heed the admonition that I even quoted this morning in Mark chapter, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said in verse 21, for we are treasures, there will your heart be also. But what was the admonition right before that? Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust of corrupt where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Christ said there's treasures in heaven. You have opportunity to lay up treasure in heaven. Therefore, we minister. We minister because we know that God honors his word. We minister because we believe the gospel. It's like Paul said that he was convinced the love of Christ constrained him because he was convinced that if, that if Christ died for all, then what? All we're all dead. All we're dead. We're, we're all dead in trespasses and sin. Everybody needs the gospel. That motivates me then. I believe and therefore speak. And because I believe and speak, I minister the gospel. And I minister my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I serve God with a pure heart fervently. At least that ought to be the goal of my life. And so that I can lay up eternal treasure in heaven and give a reward of faith. Uh, give an account as a faithful steward and have an eternal reward that counts for something. We believe and therefore minister, but then we believe and therefore give thanks. There's two different basic ways in which this passage has been extrapolated. I would kind of like to share both of those with you. So listen very carefully. All right. So that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Here's a couple of different ways where that could be how that could be translated or applied. The grace which preserves us in trials and works life in us being made the greater or multiplied by means of the greater number of its recipients, may cause the thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. That is, the more of us who are ministering, because we believe, therefore we minister, then more people are being reached with the gospel, more Christians are being strengthened, and all who are being saved and all who are being strengthened and encouraged um, and are growing in Christ because uh, all of us are ministering the gospel and ministering to one another, exponentially multiplies our thanksgiving to God and our worship to God. And I believe that that is absolutely legitimate application. But also listen to this. That grace being made greater or multiplied, that word implies that very clearly, on account of the thanksgiving of the greater number, for grace already received, may abound or abundantly redound. In other words, thanksgiving 
invites more abundant grace. So there's a hymn, Count Your Many Blessings, right? And one of the, one of the phrases is, Count Your Many Blessings, Every Doubt Will Fly, and You Will Be Singing As the Days Go By. And as we get into the context, because uh, Paul talks about our light affliction, which is but for a moment, you know, as there is greater thanksgiving to God, and as we are reminding of ourselves of the faithfulness of God, it gives us that greater confidence and that hope. It gives us that uh, that that empowerment of his grace uh, to cling to that expectation and to go through this light affliction and to keep an eternal perspective. Thanksgiving invites more abundant grace. As I begin to thank God for the things he has done and I count my blessings, I believe the spirit of God then begins to minister to my life. And God pours his grace into me because what is Thanksgiving? It is a humble acknowledgement that all of these things Come from God. And God resists the proud, but he gives grace to who? The humble. And who are the ones who are the thankful? The humble. And so God allows us many times to go through these different things, even these different afflictions, and part of what he's doing in us, just like he did in Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it is to place us in a, in a, in a position where we are in a humble dependency upon God. And as we are in that humble dependency upon God, he teaches us to rejoice in that seemingly difficult circumstance because his grace is abundantly poured out upon us and the power of Christ rests upon us, which causes us then to effectively minister and through effectively ministering with pure hearts made pure because of that sanctification process that God often works through a trial. Are you sticking with me? This is a lot. Okay. It redounds to his glory. We're laying up treasure in heaven and our hearts overflow with rejoicing and there's more grace. It is momentum that continues to build and to add. It's an exponential multiplication. That's what's going on here. So our lives can exponentially bring glory to God. Say, well, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. How do I glorify God? One of the ways you glorify God is by ministering, by speaking the truth of the convictions that you hold in confident expectation of the promises of God. So we're declaring the gospel and people then get saved. Maybe we're not the one to see them saved. Some plant, some water. God gives the increase. Some of these we won't know about until heaven. That's why we're going to spend all of eternity praising and worshiping and thanking the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there's no way we're going to be able to understand all that God is doing even right now in this very present moment. But all of this redounds to his glory and our lives continue to bring others that have thanksgiving in their hearts to give glory to God. And thus we are fulfilling the purpose of our existence. To bring God glory. And as we see God using us, I don't know about you, but whenever God um, works through me, and I'm just the tool, I'm just the vessel, right? God has to be the one who picks me up, empowers me by his grace, and he's the one who has to wield me. Because I can't change anybody's life. I can only be the tool or the messenger. It is God's word and God's spirit that does the transformation process. Amen? But you know what that does to me whenever I see somebody get saved, whenever I see a believer make a decision to turn from sin and to choose to do right, or they, they begin to engage in a new ministry and God is using them. Man, that just causes my heart to be full of thanksgiving and praise to God. And it keeps on multiplying. God will be glorified. Don't miss out on being part of that. And that really is the next phrase. So I've already gotten ahead of myself in the outline we believe and therefore God is glorified. 
The supernatural work of God working through us causes those who have received the grace of God to praise him and he is glorified. And now look in verse 16. We believe and therefore do not lose heart. Could also be translated give up. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Paul contrasts this ongoing, it's a, it's a deconstructive process in our outward body, and it's also an inward reconstruction process in our inner man, and these are going on simultaneously. So what Paul's talking about is that we share in the suffering of Christ's death through ministry, but there's also even just a physical, mental, emotional uh, uh, burden or wearing on our temporal minds and bodies while we minister. And yet, though there is this outward degenerative process that is going on physically, even getting worn out doing ministry, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Why? Because we believe and therefore we speak, anticipate, minister, give thanks. God is glorified. And so we don't lose heart. We keep on ministering. We keep on serving. We keep on holding the whole, even though sometimes it feels like we are being poured out and worn out and like there's nothing left to give. This idea, when he talks about the outward man perishing, that word perishing is used, it's a term used to describe rust eating into iron or moths eating into cloth. You say, how, but on the other hand, as Paul rejoices in the resurrection power of Christ and then that confident expectation of knowing that we will be raised with him and we get to spend all of eternity with him, the renewing truths of the gospel, the, the wonderful ministry of grace that comes as we express our thanksgiving to God to his glory, renews our inner man. And therefore, we do not give up and we do not lose hearts. As evil men and seducers wax worse and worse, as we begin to face persecution simply for preaching and declaring and standing for the truth, doing it in love, I'm not talking about being obnoxious, but speaking the truth in love and standing for the truth in love and ministering. And sometimes when we minister, we don't see immediate results. But you know what? Because of our walk with Christ and because we have a confident expectation that he has promised that his word will not return void. And that everything that we do is going to count for Christ. If we're doing it out of a heart of love for him, we can be renewed in our inner man and not give up and not give in. We can, as we looked at in our message this morning, we can finish strong. As I was meditating on this verse, here are some different applications that I wrote down. First, there is a wearing on the temporal human body as we serve the Lord. I don't know if you know this or not, but, min- but ministry can be physically exhausting. It can be intense focus, long hours, vast expenditures of energy are some of the demands of spiritual work. And there's also a wearing on the temporal human mind and emotions as we bear one another's burdens, confront disobedient brethren, counsel and practice accountability. And invest in other believers. And then there are spiritual battles of gospel ministry and many fields of opportunity that also make demands on our temporal human selves. And that means we must be renewed by the supernatural power of Christ in our inner man. This comes through feasting on the Word of God 
through prayer and a humble, confident, total dependence upon God, which draws us into a close and constant walk with Him. Listen to these words from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 28. Isaiah says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of His understanding. He giveth power unto the faint. Aren't you grateful? And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That is why we keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ. As we looked at this morning, we are looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We are looking to him. He is the source of our strength. He is the source of our joy. He is the one who gives us strength so that we don't faint and lose heart. He is the one when we are weary and worn out that he can work in us the supernatural power of his grace even to give us the physical strength and endurance, the mental acuity that we may need, the emotional strength and stability, and the spiritual wherewithal to fight the battles and to serve the Lord and to minister to others. But it's work. And Paul says, look, we do not lose heart. Why? Because we believe these things. And then we believe, and therefore... We interpret the temporal by the eternal. This is one of the things you will probably hear me emphasize throughout my ministry here. Because maybe you have heard the phrase of a, speaking of a Christian, oh, he or she is so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. You ever hear that? You know what I believe the real problem is? Too many Christians are so earthly minded, they're of no eternal value. And so we need to interpret the temporal by the eternal. We can get so discouraged and despondent and panic. We can be, we can be ready to, uh, to compromise truth, to run away from the fight, just to sit down and shut up or whatever, because we're so focused and distracted and intimidated by the temporal instead of looking to the eternal. We need to interpret the temporal by the eternal. You know what it'll do? It'll really change your attitude. And it'll change your effectiveness in the way that you minister. Look with me in these verses again. For which cause, verse 16, we faint not. For though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more and exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, but the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Man, you want to talk about light affliction? Paul calls what he endured light affliction. How would you like to be beaten with rods? How would you like to be stoned and left for dead? Suffer nakedness and cold and hunger. Be mocked and ridiculed, chased from city to city, and publicly discredited wherever you went. When Paul talks about light affliction. The only way he could call it light is that he was comparing it 
with eternity. He was putting his experiences on this side of the scales and the eternal weight of glory. And there's a play on words. He talks about our light affliction, which is but for a moment, working for us an exceeding more eternal weight of glory. He is saying this far outsays this to where it's almost not even worth mentioning. Our affliction is real and it hurts. Paul never denied that. He said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time. He didn't sugarcoat it. Our affliction is real and it hurts, but compared with the eternal value of a life faithfully lived for Christ, it's hardly worth mentioning. Jesus uses this illustration in John chapter 16 and verse 21. He says, when a woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she's delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And so that is an experience, an amazing and unique thing that God has gifted to mothers. Though the most painful human experience is to give birth to a child, yet there is no greater human joy than to see a child come into this world. So I wrote these thoughts down in thinking in that context. It is worth the effort to faithfully live and share the gospel even when you are mistreated, when that person that you've been after comes to Christ. It's worth discipling a believer as you see them mature in the faith. It's worth the hours of counseling to see God heal relationships. And even when we don't see the results in this life, we trust God to honor his word and our faithful efforts, knowing we will see it in eternity. It is always worth it. Our focus, as we looked at this morning, our focus is on the eternal, looking unto Jesus. We're looking to the finish line, our peripheral, is what sees the temporal. One man of God wrote this. He said, the things that the world lives and dies for are temporal and passing. The things of the Lord last forever. The world thinks we are crazy because we dare to believe God's word and live according to his will. We pass up the things that men covet because our hearts are set on higher values. Why? Because we believe. And because we believe, therefore, we interpret the temporal by the eternal. And all the other things that we looked at tonight in this passage. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. I want to challenge you in just a moment as we'll have Daniel play just a stanza of an invitation song to give us time to meditate on God's truth. How did the Spirit of God speak to you tonight? What was it that he touched in your life? How did he apply his truth to you? I trust that you are, see this as a, a positive challenge that you will be encouraged in the coming year. That though there may be some afflictions and there may be, uh, and, and, and often the outward man is perishing because investing in ministry is physically exhausting and demanding. It is emotionally uh, and mentally and spiritually demanding. We are in spiritual warfare. War is never easy. War takes its toll. And yet... Our inner man is renewed day by day 
so that we don't lose heart, we don't faint, we don't give up. And we always, always interpret the temporal through the eternal. As Daniel begins to play, would you meditate on the truth tonight and do business with the Lord?